Hey gang, Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts is now funded by Patreon. Join to access our blog and unlock special bonuses like essays, reviews, show notes, and other exclusive material. It's brand new and you can be a part of shaping the material we produce. If we reach $50 a month, we'll be able to start buying vintage Scooby-Doo novels to review, in addition to our regular episodes. Thank you to David Green, Kyle Michaud, Katie Maxwell, Jordan Ferguson, Pablo Corden, Spencer Graham, Matthew Bang, Ashley Martinez, Gabriel Pesek, Sean Mokels, Toge, and Blake Sawyer for funding this episode. Welcome to Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts. The original podcast that painstakingly goes through all Scooby-Doo media in search of those two Scooby-Doo absolutely or Scooby-Don't under any circumstance. I'm your host, Amelia. And I'm your host, Billy. And we're watching The Devouring. Who's hungry after watching that episode? No one. No. No one's hungry. It really is more about the dangers of eating. Nothing else. At the very least, eating gluten, which is a substance I love. So it's... I'm getting real mixed emotions after watching this here episode. It's okay, Billy. The gluten demon isn't real and isn't coming for your starch. I'm so, I just have so much pasta in this apartment. We stockpiled. We have a reasonable amount of pasta. We did not go crazy with coronavirus buying. There are like two bags. Not to mention the can of Chef Boyardee. Oh man, Billy, I know we're millennials, but we gotta reach a little higher than two bags of pasta being the pinnacle. We do. We do. There's also rice. Well, I don't have to go through our pantry for the listeners. Alright, anyway. Here's the premise for the episode, and we'll just get going. A gluttonous monster goes on a high-cholesterol rampage in Crystal Cove. I gotta say, in terms of actual, like, monster designs, this one is very effective in what it does. Like, I was kind of questioning if this was actually a hell demon for part of this episode. I was! You are not! I was, because it's, it's... There aren't demons in hell dedicated to going through specific food groups. No. To cause famines. I, well, it was before Oh, look they... out, it's the dairy demon. And oh, the one dedicated especially this... to just asparagus. I've, I, yeah, I agree. There is probably no reference to an asparagus demon in the Bible. But it's, this was before they went into that. Like, when it was just sort of like another hungry demon eating all the food it could. We even got a little moment from Velma where she said that we needed to open our eyes to the supernatural. And coming from Velma, that really held weight. So I don't know, I was I was into that element of this. But who boy, there are some other elements of this episode <laughs> that throw me off. And I don't know where you want to start. Uh, I guess with Velma, since you've already given like one third of the notes away for her. She, uh, they have to consider that something supernatural is happening. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's very odd to see that come from Velma, but it is effective. Like, if you want the audience to actually buy that, you need to put it in, like, the skeptic's mouth. This episode opens with more research on Nibiru. She says that the more research she does, the less she knows, which usually goes to show you that you're studying something crackpot. <laughs> like, it's a conspiracy where it just does not make sense once you line it all up. Um, she borrows a book from her mother concerning Nibiru. Does her mother not know anything about Nibiru? Do we not get that voice actress in? Well, it, yeah, I mean, her mother is referenced two or three times in this episode, and she's put in danger. Velma gets a phone call from her mother, and all there is on the other end is, like, guttural noises. She goes to her home, and it's been ransacked. Well, sorry, not her home. The, um, the Museum of Spookology, or whatever it's called. But it is odd, they didn't even get her in to be like, Oh, I'm okay. We got a random deputy. Deputies all over the place, actually. Bronzenstone doesn't make an appearance either. We only see the one deputy, don't we? There's like two other deputies that take the, uh, the criminal away at the end. Well, I'm never not going to complain about Bronzenstone not showing up, so... Oh, I know. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Am I right? Moving on to the Daphne dilemma, uh, Daphne is getting kind of uh, shocked by all of this. She feels that now is sort of a, a good time to open up to each other, to, to really say how everyone is feeling, and that she would be open to hearing how Fred feels. She's still fishing for Fred's affection by trying to be sneaky about it. Uh, should know by now that that's not the way to go about it. Can't be passive-aggressive with Fred. You have to just be regular-aggressive with Fred. Just be, or not aggressive, but, like, explicit. And I, I do feel that she was explicit there. She wasn't. Because he, he understood. He was like, you mean, like, emotions and stuff? She but didn't confirm that. I feel like if she was serious about it. I think Fred got what she was trying to say, but he just wasn't ready at that point in the episode. You need to box Fred into a corner if you want any <laughs> answer from him. You cannot pussyfoot around with innuendo. Fred, if you like me, come and claim me. Like that. Yeah, like that. Because uh, really, it just results in him saying he's hungry, to which Daphne yells, Hunger is not an emotion, Fred Jones! And then, like Velma, uh, Daphne doesn't really have many individual notes. She gets a group note that her, Velma, and Kachinga go and... <laughs> because Rick and Kachinga are here, if we had not made that explicit before. They go and do the investigative part of the gluten demon. I really like how Kachinga is just like, look, this potion is nonsense. Let's go solve a mystery. And the girls go along with him, and they make a pretty good team. Like, really? Effective. They go to one place, they get a clue, they say, okay, we can lead from here. They head off before any nonsense occurs. Kachinga for the group. Kachinga is very good at defending them as well. Here in the coffee shop, he, like, jumps in front of the kids with his spear ready yeah. to fight. In the warehouse, when he, they're being chased by the gluten demon, he knocks over flour on top of it and makes sure that the girls get, get away first. Moving on to the Fred Factor... Rick Spartan is back, and that's his hero. So Fred is all on board. Even though Spartan has been proven to be an absolute nutjob, Fred will still do anything that he's doing. 
and that is throwing pizza out of a window after recklessly driving through the well the window that they're throwing shit out of without even questioning it like rick spartan comes in and fred's just like hell yeah we're destroying things we're throwing food out the window i'll help and i would say like rick spartan does seem way more unhinged this episode than last time last time it was like a villain that suited him it was very much within his world he's out of his element here and everyone's calling him out more <laughs> Which I think that also helps, the fact that he's just getting consistently called out. He's apparently gone up against food-based demons in the past. He has a scrapbook of it? Yeah, he fought. Uh, so this is the gluten demon. He previously fought the dairy demon, the asparagus demon, and the olive oil demon. But he didn't capture that one because it was too slippery. He's a slippery devil. And Fred is still, though, just absolutely enraptured by this guy uh he pledges himself to quit gluten after learning that rick spartan goes gluten free fred is described by rick as a brick is that the broad-shouldered equivalent of saying someone's a peach possibly it definitely had that connotation like oh fred you're a brick thanks it's more about tone than actual words <laughs> While Kachinga and the girls are investigating, Fred is trap building with Rick. Mm-hmm. In his, like, own little slice of heaven right there, I'm sure. It's just a fucking net on the ground. There's some pulleys that, that help the net raise up. But you're right, it is one of the more basic traps he's accomplished. Look, I shouldn't have to point out all the individual elements of a net. Obviously, there's going to be some pulleys. Well, cause, just because it got to that point where... There's a musical score in Mr. Incorporated that, like, when a good trap is popping off, that's the score they use. And they used it here. Um, which, I guess, made me think it was impressive. But no, you're right. It was just a net on the ground. Filled with bread. The bread took a while to set up. After doing all this, the girls meet up with him again. And Fred adds the exclamation of, Daphne, it felt like it's been hours since I've seen you. It has been, Freddy. We've been separated for hours. Okay, Fred, let's not fall back in your old habits of micromanaging everything Daphne does, please. I think that was more that he doesn't actually have a good grasp of time. But, great moment from Fred at the end of this episode, because Rick Spartan has been separated from his wife, and Fred goes to him and hands him a phone and says, Call her, tell her you love her, and if she feels the same way, do everything to keep her. I love that he specified if she feels the same way. That is important. And then Daphne overhears this, realizes that Fred is kind of coming to an epiphany, and Fred even holds her hand, making a physical gesture of, yeah, I get it. She says, Freddy, are you all right? And he says no, and then takes her hand and then says, now I'm all right incredibly cute you missed out the best part who gives a shit about crazy rick spartan and his I think, wife i think it's important because it's one of those things where maybe fred can't fully express it himself but because he is it's like when people use puppets in therapy it kind of helps to project a little bit rick spartan is his puppet I don't want to think about the hands that have been up that man's ass. <laughs> well, I don't necessarily want to think about Shaggy and Scooby, but we need to move on to them soon. 
Scooby is upset about Nova, mm-hmm. who's not confirmed dead, even though she flatlined at the end of last episode. Yeah. Well, I think it's one of those things where she, where I believe she's dead, but maybe the hospital doesn't. He's laying in bed, feeling sorry for himself. Shaggy says, you gotta eat, buddy. You've only had three breakfasts and two lunches. <laughs> that's, what he, that's what he keeps it to when he's feeling ill. Yeah. But then he d- he does end up eating because in order to stop the gluten demon, they need to eat all the gluten in town first. Missing some points before we get to that disgusting okay, development. Okay, please, please, I don't want to get there. So give me any roadblocks in between. For some reason, Shaggy is the one being put in charge of keeping the keys that they are collecting, and he shouldn't be. He shouldn't want to keep these creepy artifacts anywhere near him. Well, it kind of made sense before because they specified that Shaggy and Scooby would be the least likely to hold them. So that's why they're keeping them at Shaggy and Scooby's house. Here's the thing. Heracles knows they have the full disc. He knows what they're doing with the disc. Why would he not just periodically make his way through the four of them? Yeah, it's four houses. To find the keys. Fuck it. It's three houses. Fred's staying with Daphne. You can't search three houses. Instead, you gotta unleash a horde of cattle on the town. It's ridiculous to me that any of them think that they are safe keeping the keys in their personal residence. It is interesting that there's no real headquarters for this group. Like, we've mentioned different buildings being their headquarters before. Like that room in City Hall, and uh, definitely Mayor Jones's house a little bit. But they do tend to move around. Maybe it's just Shaggy's week to hold these items. Okay, well, then raz everyone else's house to the ground <laughs> while it's Shaggy's week. Now where are you going to put them? I mean, yeah, I, look, if I was Pericles, I would, I would be going hard on these houses, absolutely. They should be buried in the woods in, like, a safe, a fireproof safe. Just, yeah, not Shaggy's loft. I understand that that is a vulnerable position. And he also shouldn't agree to it in any way. These are cursed items. He knows they're cursed. It's gonna put my family in danger, man. He watched a German woman's corpse speak (laughs) in regards to Nibiru. He knows that these artifacts belong to Nibiru. Did, uh, did Scooby tell the group that Nova spoke? Yes. He did tell everyone that Nova spoke. Yes, because Fred was like, Nova doesn't talk, ever. Yeah, Freddy, because she's a fucking dog. Thank you for finally being the one to point it out. (laughs) This is just a normal dog, gang. Good line from Shaggy. When things get scary, the scared get pizza. When things get extra scary, the scared get deep dish. Well, I won't acknowledge that because deep dish isn't pizza. It's tomato pie. But it is a, you know, I I like the comparison of a deeper, more existential (laughs) horror with a deeper dish of pizza. At one point, he's just going to eat a pot of tomato sauce. He'll do it happily. So, uh, yes, they are tasked with eating everything in Crystal Cove before the gluten monster can get to it. And boy, did they do it. They swell up to be fat, grotesque monsters, and, uh, for some reason that gives them courage. 
It's just they're it's, too full to be scared, and then the monster starts banging around their friends, and Shaggy specifically is like, "I have taken umbrance with that. I'm gonna fight that monster." <laughs> he would never have done that as skinny Shaggy, but suddenly fat Shaggy is who's gonna save us all. Just with these characters and the way they are, like it's, it's not good. It's not. Like, it's, it is a fat joke, too. Like. Yeah, it's obviously very disparaging to fat people. Yeah, I don't care for it. And I just don't like seeing the boys this way. They seem in pain. Gonna have serious now, indigestion later. At the very, I mean, I guess I like that. I like it better than the distended bellies. Let me say that. I like seeing a more even distribution of the weight after they've eaten. But that's also, it's- The it, body can't process exactly. food that quickly. Their bodies are very strange. Like, the distended belly is gross, but it's more true to fact. And then you pointed out that, like, when they get, they go into sumo mode and they start fighting this monster, they would be an incredible pain. They're being knocked around via belly bounces into, like, cars and lampposts and, and like, shit, and the cars are crumpling underneath them, and, like, they're fat, but they still have human pain receptacles. And I, I think specifically because this is all, you know, it's probably mostly water weight from what you're, you know, just eating. Hopefully you work it off, but it would, it would be, they'd be sore and tender. I know after I've eaten a whole bunch, and not to their level, but, like, after a big, like, Christmas dinner, would I want to go out and get a lamppost in the stomach? No! Weird way to take it. I get it. Something's eating the whole town. Shaggy and Scooby are also big eaters. But their superpower is that they can eat all of that and then just walk away happily. You took it to a weird place. Uh, Major Minor mentions... There's some drama going down with the original Mystery Incorporated. They're, they're eating themselves from within with their distrust and anger. Mr. E is... Uh... Well, we open on Pericles trying to get into the computers, and he's been locked out because mm -hmm. Mr. E changed the passwords. So we cut to Mr. E. He seems to be creeping Cassidy's old Facebook page. Yeah, he's looking at pictures of Cassidy. He is He's missing her. He is mourning her. Quick check-in with the Cassidy confirmation. Still dead, but mourned. Pericles attacks Ricky after Ricky says that, you know, he's the one that's in charge, Pericles obviously thinks otherwise, because Pericles is the one in charge. So Mr. E thinks to go behind his back with Brad and Judy, because he, it's only he now, them. it's only now that Pericles has gone insane in Mr. E's eyes. Because now, now they've come at odds. I feel like killing Cassidy was the real breaking point for him. Even though he agreed she needed to be stopped, the act of killing her. I think really, like, shook Mr. E out of this. And Brad and Judy, as we've talked about before, are fucking psychopaths. They're sociopaths, and they, they double-cross him with smiles on their faces. Heracles injects Mr. E with, like, a remote-controlled venom in his spine? So now, like, he... If Mr. E goes against him, he'll get, like, a shot of this venom and it'd be an incredible pain. And, and is essentially now just a walking slave to Pericles' whims. It's a little worse. It's kind of worse than what Cassidy got. At least Cassidy got to live on her own terms before dying. 
He also calls Ricky the human mascot, reversing the roles between them. I thought that was a really cutting jibe. So does that mean the whole group was Pericles' human mascots? I mean, the other ones were humans. Brad and Judy are human, despite, you know... I think it was sort of Pericles... empathy development problems. It, it, was, it was Pericles just sort of climbing that ladder and pushing them all down below him. No one matters but Pericles in his eyes. Pericles is such a good villain. Yes. And instead of getting an episode where we, like, see Pericles more than for 30 seconds, we instead have to watch a big fat fucking demon sumo wrestle. The subplot is way more interesting in this episode. I was so much more invested in the original Mystery Incorporated. I wish we had focused more on them. Maybe it's because they only got that, like... It was a nice condensed storyline, but great job. Great job on the original Mystery Inc. Minor, minor mentions. Two returning, three returning characters from two previous episodes. Yep. France Lee, the uh, woman that uh, Bronzenstone used to play Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> She used to with. play Dungeons and Dragons, and now she has a cooking show. She opens this episode trying to teach us how to make, like, a mayonnaise-filled, bacon-wrapped croissant. Doesn't sound good. How did you manage to ruin the perfection that is a croissant? Fucking Americans. She took a lot of things that are good. Like, even taking a croissant and using it as, like, bread for a sandwich? Mm -hmm. Fucking Americans. But, like, and there's pasta in there. I don't know. Scooby-Doo and Shaggy often Combine strange foods for new concoctions, which which would be atypical of normal cuisine. But there's still like a truth to those dishes. There feels like there's no truth to France Lee Jackson's meal. What are you talking about? Chocolate covered corn on the cob has no truth. Sweet and savory, this baby. This is the truth of America, Billy. Open your eyes. They bastardize everything. Well, th- it just. Hence deep dish pizza. <laughs> Hence canned whole chickens. No one needs 72 ounces of cola at a time. Well, hey, if you have a problem with it, I ain't no doctor, y'all. Listen to doctors. Do not listen to France Lee Jackson. Anyway, she seems to conjure a demon from her meal, and the demon eats her. Yes. She is so filled with butter and gluten that he can eat her right up. Uh, France Lee has a food allergy to anything remotely healthy. You slap her in the face with some quinoa and she goes down like a bitch. Seems made up. (laughs) Seems like a fake allergy, but okay. Again. Americans. But, uh, Rick Spartan, academic of adventure. And Kachinga, his noble savage. Yes, uh, Marion, and you were asking about her before they mentioned it, but she is gone. Uh, Rick claims that they were on a farm in the Serengeti and giant flies attacked them from all sides and took Marion to their mountain lair in Kilimanjaro. That is a delusional lie. She has left and gone to her mother's house because all she wanted was some easy urban living for a while, and she married the worst man for that. Yeah, so she's staying with her mom in Irvine. is telling herself 
over and over again that she still loves this dude. I don't think you love this dude anymore, Marion. File for divorce. This is the issue in their last episode. Like, this is literally what they had the whole issue about. He was talking about it, and he was going to listen to her feelings, and then there was just, like, a total 180 flip, and he's back to being an asshat. Yeah. Divorce him. Well, that's not what she's doing, because even after, like, Fred makes that appeal, like, hey, call her. He calls her, and she seems to be taking him back. Don't know if that's the right move. Kachinga opens this episode with a milkshake for some reason, but then we learn that he's gluten-free vegan. So what is he doing with a milkshake? It could have just been, like, a like a Yonanas. Like, it was just banana in there. Maybe some other fruit. Like, it's a smoothie. There seemed to be, like, a scoop of ice cream on top. Maybe, uh, I'm sure you can get, well, he's not dairy-free, he's just gluten-free. Well, vegan. Vegan. Ve- soy milk? Could you use soy milk? Is soy gluten-free? I don't know. You could, but why would you call that ice cream? That's not ice cream. I mean, I, I'm not sure. Kachinga is a joy this episode, though, I know that. He was last episode as well. If he's lying about being a vegan, though, I mean, we have to take a moral stance. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a vegan, so I don't have to. He gets nervous when uh, Rick Spartan tells him, yells at him to take pictures and ends up dropping the camera. So all they have for these demons is crudely drawn pictures. You can't work a camera and carry a big-ass spear at the same time. It's one or the other, Rick. Yeah. And you know what? I would recommend... That, well, I was also- going to say I recommend the camera, but Kachinga is good at that spear. Also, I feel like he's regressed with Kachinga as well. At the end of the last episode, wasn't he willing to, like, you know, not be a racist (laughs) asshat? And just treat Kachinga as, like, the white man that he is? I would have liked to have seen Fred sort of take the sand out of his eyes here and realize that maybe Rick Spartan isn't all he appears to be. Fred's always gotta have a hero, but this hero ain't it. He wants them to use a potion, for God's sake. <laughs> I thought, okay, so Kachinga sort of just tosses that potion out the window. I thought that was going to come into effect, like, oh, maybe it is a real demon and you do need to create that potion. But no, it's nonsense, and he, he's just littering. That's the worst thing that throwing that potion out the window is. I really don't think a demon, how, why would it be a real demon, Billy? Life is silly. But hell isn't. It's very serious down there. <laughs> very efficiently run. Um, like I said, we see the deputy. Who oh, was that? Billy. Well, all right, I'm just going to say it. We see, we see a deputy named Deputy. Uh, and we also see two other law enforcement officers at the end. And then I, I think the only other minor mention is Albrecht J. Schwartz. Sure. A man who wants his insurance check. I didn't even bother to write him down. I cared so little. Well, it's, it, you know what? It's because the gang knew, look, you are not important to us. Kachinga, Daphne, Velma, very efficient mystery solvers. Get right out of there as soon as they have their information. Oh, I see this is signed AJS. Betcha you're a red herring. Punch him in the face, run out of there. So the, the gluten demon, the villain of this episode. The gluten demon is a big red demon, heavily overweight, Wearing big old BDSM cuffs and leather straps. A terrifying sight to behold. Eh. We learn from Rex Barton that uh, he, he has a history. He was shown in ancient Egypt and during the fall of Rome. He tainted France. 
in the 1780s to lead to the revolution. The fall of Rome attributed to one demon that likes to eat wheat. I'm this sure it was just... a motivating factor. Rome started to fall because of inflated military spending. Hannibal came over the fucking Alps and they started eating themselves from within, dividing the classes even further. There was lead in the water. But what of gluten? There was 50 million <laughs> things that was destroying Rome. I, gluten wasn't one of them. I love when they try and do something with history and then you are so like, fuck no, I know this, and you're able to just totally tear it apart like that. Like, one of my favorite things. <laughs> Alright, so the history of this gluten demon is wrong. Uh, it ends up being Francis Lee Jackson, birth name, Agatha Juniper Scholdeheimer. She needed a big comeback. Can we, wait, before we go any further, yeah. I also just want to point out that shit like this was never drawn in history until, like, Christianity became a thing. Right. So probably not around during the Old Kingdom of Egypt is, or the Fall of Is Rome. there any sort of Egyptian deity that would match the Judeo-Christian demon? No. No, as I'm saying it, I'm like, no. One of them has a crocodile head. <laughs> it's, he's, just, he's just a big red boy in BDSM gear. Yes, it's Francely. Her master criminal plan is to open a restaurant, and she doesn't want any competition, so she goes about it the worst way. That's bad! Don't do that! Here's the thing. If you're a restaurant near other restaurants, you're in, like, the restaurant district. People are gonna come here looking for a meal, and they're gonna walk around, and they're gonna say, ooh, let's try that place. Like, if people don't trust you anymore because your cornbread recipe doesn't have any corn in it, that's your own fucking fault. Make good food. If you destroy... This town's, like, restaurant culture and economy. It's not good for your restaurant. She wants the restaurant to debut, like, a cannoli filled with mayonnaise wrapped in bacon. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, not a, not a fan. So, unfeasible plan. Well, she's eating everything as she goes as well. I also want to note, before I forget... The fact that she is arrested by those two other officers and not Bronsonstone when Bronsonstone has known her since childhood? Like, you take a nice character moment like that away from me? He's too busy nailing Mayor Nettles. Apparently. She wants his meat. <laughs> Don't say it like that. He's always dragging a smoker around, Billy. Then he would have been perfect in this gluten-free environment. <laughs> yeah, because just what everyone needs, the keto diet. Only keto can defeat <laughs> the gluten demon. <laughs> We're writing a better episode. Um, is this gluten demon scary? Another famine-based monster? It's too soon. One episode after the horrible herd? Like, it feels cheap and lazy. I originally gave her a five, but it's just a fat woman in a demon suit, like a three tops. I really think this would have been the point in the series for it to be like a demon from hell. For it to be like a supernatural creature, to give them just a taste of like, you know, Velma says we need to open our eyes that there's more out there. And it would have kind of primed us for some of the shit that's to come. Okay, here's my pitch. Because as Francely 
is being literally rolled away by the deputies to be arrested. From somewhere in her costume comes an old-timey bowl. Yes. And she's freaking out about this bowl, so obviously it's tied to the planispheric disc because she has the same reaction, this bowl, that people had to the disc pieces. And to the cheese. So they flip over the bowl and it says, like... The name that implies it's another key yes, that uh, the disc is leading them to. Tercero Lave, the third key. Now, it is absolutely ridiculous that they just keep stumbling upon these keys haphazardly like this. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the whole thing that's going to lead you to the cursed treasure are these keys. And so far... The only one they've, like, found found is when they dug up a grave. Yes. Otherwise, Skipper Sheldon has handed them a hat, and this bitch just had, like, this bowl on her as she wreaked havoc around Crystal Cove. So my pitch is that instead of making these, like, 90% one-off episodes that have nothing to do with anything, this should have been a real demon that had this bowl, and the bowl is what brought it to Crystal Cove because the bowl is trying to get back with the planospheric disc. Yeah, 100% into that. So just have it so that all these supernatural things are now showing up in Crystal Cove because they have a piece of the puzzle, and the puzzle is trying to fit itself back together. Yes. There's no reason why Francis Lee should have had this bowl. Like, it makes me really angry that... We are not organically having these kids solve the mystery. It's just falling into their lap. Yeah. I, I'm i with your pitch. I like that a lot. Like, a demon that's in charge of eating would have a bowl. Yeah, and also <laughs> I would I'd probably cut the eating stuff. I did not care for the eating stuff. And lean more heavily on the original Mystery Inc. Because, my God, they were the most interesting part about this episode. Like, we have six episodes left of Mystery Incorporated. They shouldn't just be stumbling upon pieces of the puzzle. They need to actively be looking for them. We didn't need Dance of the Dead, okay? As much as we enjoyed it, like, we didn't need it. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm never going to sacrifice Dance of the Dead, the Dance of the Undead. Then these seasons need to be much, much longer. (laughs) I'm sorry, I had an end to that sentence. Um, But but you are totally right. I want to see them... Uh, more heavily invested. This should be the Deathly Hallows. The kids aren't going to school anymore. They're fighting for the safety of the universe. Like this fat... My bowl! My bowl! Like... That was... Jesus Christ. I was okay with the, like, pathetic begging on her end because that was like, My precious! Like the bowl has corrupted her. But it was very ham-fistedly put into the episode. Oh, episode ends with them finding the next key. Wonderful. Would you call the devouring a Scooby-Doo or a Scooby-Don't? It's a do for like the first three minutes where Velma is talking about Nibiru. It's a do for old mystery ink starting to uh, devour themselves from within. Yeah, that was great. <gasps> and the, but, Oh my god. Devour. Yes, that's the title. It's a don't for Rick Spartan. It's a don't for fatty, fatty two by four. I can't fit through the kitchen door, Shaggy and Scooby. It's a Scooby maybe. I think I'm going to land with a don't on this one myself. Um, the, There's a lot that I like it's in it. It's hard for me to do a don't when there is still stuff pertaining to the overall plot. Well, I'll handle the don't for you then. Because I think, um, you know, making... 
Shaggy and Scooby Fat is just like that's not a recipe for a good time. The fact that they did regress Rick Spartan. I think they had good ideas here, especially with the original Mystery Incorporated, but the final execution of the episode didn't totally land. We just had an incredibly fun Sky episode, and so going to this felt like a downturn. It gets my don't. The next episode is Stand and Deliver. If you'd like to stand and deliver your opinion of this episode, you can find us on Twitter, at Fatalamelia, at the Billy Seaguire, collectively at Scooby underscore Doos. You can also stream all our old stuff on YouTube, WordPress, and Tumblr under Scooby Doos or Scooby Don'ts. And I have my own YouTube page, at Fatalamelia, where I'm looking at spooky stuff, if you're interested. And I highly recommend it. And on that note, that's it from Scooby Dooby Us. The Scooby Dooby Us!